0: So I'll be reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it is found on page 1839 in the Bibles. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, for, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in you and you in Him, according to the grace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks for reading, Matthew. If you missed uh, before, my name is Carl, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Only. It's great to be with you here this morning. Well, I know that some of you are into running. I look out, and I know a few of you are quite good runners. I'd love to be able to say that I'm a runner, but the truth is I just don't think I was built to run. Every time I try and go running, it's all about sore lungs, sore knees, sore ankles. Actually, it's just all pain, full stop. I don't know how some of you do it, but I know some of you are good at it. Now, I'm no expert in running, but, but I do know this, In running, the finish line is a great motivator. I've jogged enough to know what this feels like, you know, when you are out for a run and then you finally turn the corner into your street and you can see your house, you can see the finish line just a a few steps away. And at least for me, that's the easiest part of the run, when the house is just coming up a few steps away. Unless you're one of those I'm going to call you unhinged people who actually just like running for running's sake. The goal of any run, it's really just to get to the finish line, isn't it? So I was quite intrigued this week to learn that there's a a running race that doesn't have a a visible finish line. It's one of those things called a fun run, those things. Uh, It goes by the name of Wings for Life. It's one of those charity runs, and it works this way. Everyone starts on the start line of the race, and the gun goes off, and off you go. You start running. At a certain time, a car leaves that start line, and it drives up the running course, and your race ends when the car catches up to you. So here's the thing. You know when the race starts, but you don't know where the finish line is. So maybe you set out fast, and maybe the car's going fast, and you're only going to run 5Ks that day. I saw one interview of a lady, who said she ran 20 k's that day because it took so long for the car to catch up for her. (laughs) There's no visible finish line. i gonna be honest, I can't think of anything worse, (laughs) running like that without any idea of how far I have to go. Surely you'd be wondering things like, did I start too fast? And then eventually your day ends when, without you being able to see it, the car comes up from behind and your race is over. I'm telling you this because, in a way, I think the Christian life is a bit like this sort of a race. We can't always see the finish line. Now, we know there's an end point, don't we? But, but our eyes are not well equipped to see where that finish line is. Over the last couple of months, I've been talking with the staff and the leadership team about a kind of theme for us to be thinking about in 2024 a theme for our year, a kind of guiding verse or a guiding principle. And I've been coming back to this idea from from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 over and over again over the last few months. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that's facing some some hard times, facing some troubles and some persecution. And in in chapter 4, he has some some real words of encouragement for this church. Let me read to you from, from verses 16 to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. I think the words are going to be on the screen if uh, Piper can put them up for me. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. It says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you hear what Paul has to say? Here's here's what I love about this. If you're in the midst of difficult times today, and, and some of us really are, then I hope you relate to these words to the Corinthian church. Paul looks on at their troubles and he says, Fix your eyes on what is unseen if you're struggling today if you're facing some hard times here's the encouragement fix your eyes on what is unseen but there's also encouragement i think for the rest of us for those of us who who are not feeling hard pressed on every side who are not feeling abandoned or persecuted for those of us who are really enjoying the good things in this world well then this passage has a way i think of helping us to to reorientate our priorities and reorientate our hearts Because it reminds us, doesn't it, that the seen things of this world, and I take it that means the material things, the the seen things, the non-spiritual things, it reminds us that those things are just temporary. And so we're to lift our eyes off those temporary things and focus instead on the things of eternity, the unseen things, the things that really matter. And here's the thing, I'd love us as a church to be doing that this year, to be fixing our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. To be looking to the eternal things of our God. And how do we do that? It's not really about our eyes, is it? It's not really that we need to go and see an optometrist and get a script to see the unseen. Some of us might need to do that, but no not what this is about, is it? this is about the state of our hearts. How do we change our hearts? How do you do that in terms of a relationship with another person? If you're in a relationship with someone, how do you change your heart towards them? If you're looking to rekindle affections with your spouse or a friend or how do you do that? Surely one of the things you can do is talk and have conversations. I think the same is true with God. And so over the, the next five weeks, what we're going to do as a church is we're going to be thinking through how do we have conversations with our God. We've called this, this little series of five weeks looking at some different prayers in the Bible, Conversations with Our Creator. Over the next five weeks, Jack and I are going to be tag-teaming, working our way through five different prayers in the Bible. And here's the thing, we're not wanting this series at all to be a a kind of guilt trip, right? So often when you think about prayer, often one of the things that we think about is, oh, I wish I was praying more, or I should be praying more. That's not what this series is about. Sure, we may need to be doing those things, but this series is not supposed to be a guilt trip. Rather, what I hope this series does is I hope this series helps us with our vision. I hope it helps us focus on the unseen, I'm hoping it's like this series gives us a set of lenses that can help us to, to see the eternity things, see the things of the eternal God. Because there's such benefit in praying like that. John Calvin, when he speaks about prayer, he says, By the benefit of prayer, we reach those riches which are laid up for us with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is a wonderful thing. As I said, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five different prayers in the Bible. Today, our prayer was originally prayed by Paul. But over this series, we'll be looking at the prayers of a surprised mother and the prayers of a guilty king and the prayers of Jesus himself. Today, we're looking at Paul's prayer from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible nearby, I'd love you to open to 2 Thessalonians chapter chapter 1. A quick word about the structure of this passage. Verses 1 to 2 are are Paul's greeting to the church. We're going to skip over those verses today. We're not going to look at them at all today. Verses 3 to 10, they, they help us to see what Paul has in mind as he turns to prayer. We know that because of the first four words of verse verse 11, where Paul says, with this in mind, in other words, these first few verses in this chapter are about Paul's prayerful attitude. And then in verses 10 and 12, we see the words of Paul's actual prayer, perhaps not word for word, but we see the content of the prayer. The prayer is short, but it's also pretty dense. Today, I want us to look at two things relating to Paul's attitude as he comes to prayer and three things from the prayer itself. And you'll see those things listed in your leaflet if you want to uh, use that as you follow along. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm really hoping. I hope you go home today encouraged and perhaps also a little more equipped to focus on the unseen things of the Christian life, to be praying for and living out a life of faith and love, certain of jesus return and looking forward to both jesus ultimate glorification and ours with him so i hope you go home with okay so uh, point one on your leaflet if you want to have a look there at uh, verse three of our passage as well and i want us to see here an attitude of thanksgiving that paul has let me read to you from verse three this is what it says We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So as Paul mentally prepares to pray, thanksgiving is at the forefront of his mind. That's probably not surprising for you. I imagine that when you pray, often you would have some prayers of thanksgiving to God in that prayer the flippant end of that, I'm sure many of us have have given thanks to God for that uh, parking space that just eventuates when you're at a really busy shopping center. At the more serious end, we, we might have given thanks to God for the healing of someone who's unwell. But in my experience, as I look back over my own prayers and think back the things that I've been praying for, so often my prayers are tied to the things that I can see. And why does that matter? Well, here's uh, what Don Carson said in in a book that I've been reading on this. I've got the words of Don Carson's quote up on the screen. Piper, if you can pop those up for me. Here's what it says. It says this, "'By and large, our thanksgiving seems to be tied rather tightly to our material well-being and comfort. The unvarnished truth is that what we most frequently give thanks for betrays what we most highly value.' If a large percentage of our thanksgiving is for material prosperity, it's because we value material prosperity proportionately. Now, Here's the thing, and while we're looking at this prayer of Paul's, at least here in this prayer, Paul is not giving thanks for material things. He's not thankful for the things that we can see, rather he's giving thanks to God for the things we can't see. You see that there? He's giving thanks that the faith of the Thessalonian church is growing. It's the first thing he's giving thanks for. He's giving thanks that their love for one another is increasing. Second thing, and he's giving thanks that they are persevering in the face of suffering. Thanksgiving for growing faith, Thanksgiving for love for one another, and Thanksgiving for persevering. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't be praying for material things? I I don't think so. This is not the only prayer in the Bible and I think we should be coming to our God and asking for healing and asking for comfort and asking for the things that we need. This is not the only prayer in the Bible and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at other prayers that do indeed ask for some of those things. But what I do want you to see is here Paul praying for the unseen things. Let's just zoom in to to point two for a moment. Zoom in on their increasing love for one another. It's easy for us to love those who we get on with, isn't it? It's easy to love those who we share common interests with. The church isn't always like that, is it? We're not always aligned over the same things. Politically, some of us might be on the left and some of us might be on the right. Some of us might be young, some of us might be old. Some of us might be struggling financially. Others might be very well off. We we here are a mixed bag of people and that means that loving each other won't always come easily. It means that if we are increasing our love for each other, it's likely a result of our allegiance to Jesus. In other words, our love for each other should spring out of our devotion to Jesus. I wonder, have you ever prayed for that sort of a thing, that we would be loving each other more? Have you been praying that our faith would be increasing or that we would persevere with God to the end? Are you giving thanks to God for the unseen things, the things of the spiritual world? Don Carson again says this, if what we highly cherish belongs to the realm of heaven, our hearts and minds will incline to heaven and all its values. But if what we highly cherish belongs to the realm of earth and the merely transitory, our hearts and minds will incline to the merely transitory. Jesus says a similar thing with a lot less words than Don Carson. He says it in Matthew 6, 21. He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you see how our prayers might help us fix our eyes on the unseen? that's point one in your... In your handout, moving on to point two, and we'll move a little bit faster here. The second attitude or mindset of Paul that I want you to notice this morning is that Paul is convinced that Jesus will return, and that shapes his ability to focus on the unseen. Let me read to you from verse six of uh, 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what verse six says God is just, He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Can you see here, Paul is convinced, absolutely sure, that Jesus will return. He'll be revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. And at that time, when that happens, God's justice will be enacted. Trouble will be righted, relief will be given. Sure, it'll be a terrifying time for those who will face God's judgment and punishment, but also a great time of marvel as, as Jesus is glorified in the presence of his holy people. And Paul says for the Thessalonian church, those who have believed Paul's testimony about who Jesus is, this will be a glorious and a marvelous time. Now, my question for us is, is are we looking forward to Jesus' return? Are you certain it will happen? I wonder if part of the reason why we might lose focus on the unseen is because perhaps we've lost hope in the fact that Jesus will really return. When you speak of the return of Jesus, are you really expecting him to come back? Are you certain of it? Paul has wonderful confidence that Jesus will return, and that shapes the way that he thinks and the way that he prays. And I reckon this is another one of those lenses that I think will help us focus more clearly on the unseen things of God. If we think like Paul, if we are certain that Jesus will return, and when he does, that he will right the wrongs, fix the broken, and restore the hurting. Okay, so we looked at two things to do with Paul's mind when he prays. the thessalonian church he's thankful to god for uh, the unseen spiritual things that are happening within the the thessalonian church their faith their love and their perseverance and he's he's certain that jesus will return that's what's in his mind Now, now let's have a look at the way that he actually prays we only have two verses here to look at so let me just read these verses to you again from verses 11 and 12 with this in mind we constantly pray for you that our god may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his prayer by asking that God would make the Thessalonians worthy of their calling. As you notice, this was his constant prayer here. I wonder what you think it means to be made worthy of your calling. It can't mean that we're just going to be like accumulating merit throughout our life or or honour and so that we would become, as we live our life, more and more appealing to God. It can't mean that because that flies in the face of the rest of Scripture. For example, this is what John Stott says, he says, when God calls us to himself through Christ, he did it in his free grace to the unworthy and the undeserving. We don't earn this change. So what does it mean then? What does it mean mean to be made worthy of your calling? Here's an illustration that might help. Have you ever um, been on the London Tube, the London Underground? If you've been there, you might know the phrase that goes hand in hand with the London Underground Station. I've got a photo of this on the screen, Piper. Mind the gap is the phrase that goes with the tube, right? And I want to suggest here that, that what Paul is saying here is that we realize that there is a gap between what we were when God called us and what we will one day become. And I want to suggest that that gap is narrowing as God, in his grace and mercy, makes us worthy of our calling. Some of us today are closer to the end of our Christian life than others, and yet even still, those of you who are close, I want to suggest there's still a gap between what you will become one day and what you are now. But Paul's prayer is that that gap will be narrowed, that we'll be becoming more like what we will be. And I want to suggest that that gap is not from our hard work and our own effort, but it's because of the grace of God working in and through us. That's the first part of Paul's prayer. Make us worthy of your calling, God. And the second is similar, but it has to do with our actions. What do you think of the phrase, it's the thought that counts? What do you think of that phrase? I want you to imagine for a moment that it's your birthday today. We celebrated Charlie's 18th birthday before. That's terrific. But I want you to imagine today that it's your birthday. You've woken up and you walk down to the kitchen and your partner or your child or someone else in the kitchen looks at you and says something like this, hi dad, happy birthday, I was thinking about making you breakfast this morning, but we're all out of eggs, sorry. But it's the thought that counts, right? (laughs) What do you do, you just shrug your shoulders, okay? And then you get to work and it's morning tea time and someone else in the office says, oh happy birthday, I was thinking about getting you a cake today, but we just ran out of time, sorry, it's a thought that counts. I mean, that's better than having your birthday forgotten altogether, isn't it? Sure, but only a little bit better. And I would suggest to you that's because I think our actions demonstrate that our thoughts have really taken hold. If you really care about your work, mate, you'll only think about getting them a cake, but you'll actually do it. I think this is what Paul is praying here. He's praying that God in his power would bring to fruition our good desires, our good thoughts. That God in his power would lead us not just to thinking good thoughts and having good desires, but that we'd actually do good things. That our thoughts would fruit into good actions. Let me ask you, do you think God can change you to do this? Do you pray for this? Do you pray for others? Particularly as we get older, I think change is hard. And sometimes I think, well, especially as we get older, that people won't change or that God won't change us. But here I want you to see that Paul is praying that God would be at work in our thoughts and that they would fruit into good actions and good behaviours. Isn't that a wonderful way to keep focusing on the unseen? To be praying that God would be at work in us, changing us, making us to be more like Jesus. The very last aspect of Paul's prayer that I want to look at with you this morning is that Paul is praying for the glory of both Jesus... And by God's grace, us with him. It's a kind of double glory prayer going on here. The glory of Jesus and the glory of God's people. And I want to suggest to you that this double glory, it's kind of the whole purpose behind Paul's prayer. This is what he wants. His whole purpose in praying is that Jesus would be glorified, that we too would be glorified with him. And that lines up, doesn't it, with the unseen things, the things of the eternal. When you pray, how often do you pray that Jesus would be glorified? ultimately that's what the unseen is all about isn't it certainly the concept of glory fills this uh, this prayer in verse 7 we see the glorious return of jesus he will come with blazing fire and powerful angels in verse 10 we see that jesus is glorified in and through his people the gap being closed us taking on our resurrection bodies like christ in our nature in verses 8 to 9 we see the glory of jesus and the justice that he meters out glory is all through this prayer i encourage you to keep praying that jesus would be glorified and by god's grace us through him okay today we've flown through uh, some of these verses in 2 thessalonians chapter 1 i've been trying to suggest to you that that prayers like this might be good prayers for us to pray because they might help us help us to focus on the unseen to focus on the things of eternity let me remind you again, this of course is not the only way to pray. There might be other particularly pressing concerns in your life that you would like prayer for now that are not like this prayer. And that's okay. Uh, I have a leaflet here with you. Uh, that you in, I have a leaflet here. There's a tear-off sip on the side of the leaflet. If you would like someone from the staff team or the staff team to be praying for something in your life this week, please jot that prayer point on the leaflet and pop it in the everything box on the hall table. This is not the only way that we can pray but what i want to suggest to you today is that these prayers help us focus on the things that are unseen to help us focus on eternity i want to give each of you the chance to have a a time of a conversation with your creator right now i want to give you a chance to pray however you might like to pray this morning but because we've been thinking about prayers that help us focus on the eternal, focus on the unseen things this morning. Inside your leaflet, I've printed out three different kinds of prayers. Those prayers, I hope, help us to do what I've been saying this morning, to help us focus on the unseen, to focus on the return of Jesus, to focus on the glorification of Jesus. And so you might like to use one of those prayers in the inside of your leaflet as you pray this morning. But what I want to do is give you two or three minutes maybe up to five minutes right now in the quietness of your seat to spend some time praying to God. Praying whatever is on your heart. It may be this morning that you want to pray for the unseen things of God. And those prayers there can help guide you in that. Any of give you a few moments to do that and then uh, in a few moments time the band's going to come up and lead us in a song that helps us to, to marvel at God's glory think just th- and help us think through the way that we see God. So you might have to spend some time praying in your seats right now.